This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Rocky Lalvani, the Profit Answer Man. And when I'm not helping small businesses stack Benjamins for themselves, I'm stacking Benjamins for myself. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Oh, man, I love today's guest because he and I are on the same page. Tired of saving all that money? Well, save no more because today we welcome the guy encouraging you to go broke poker star and energy trader bill perkins what oh that's that's not exactly his message whatever how about this one we all love free stuff but are there any dangers of free when it comes to investments i seriously doubt it but we'll see today we discuss your investments during today's headline segment But don't worry, we'll surely still have time to toss out the Haven Lifeline, and I'll challenge your intellect with my one-of-a-kind and always-free trivia. And now, two guys who are just here for Joe's Mom's Barbecue, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Just placed our order. We're all set. Mom's going to uh, send Doug down for the side dishes. We're ready to go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Monday. I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across from me at the card table today is the man behind uh, a brisket or two of his own, Mr. OG. Kind of familiar stomping grounds. It is. Mom's basement has made it back to Texarkana, Texas this week. Then um, literally a traveling roadshow. Next next week, next week, the basement will be in Georgia, and then it will be in Cleveland before it finally makes its way to Vermont for a month. So that's going to be fun. Mom likes moving. Mom likes moving all over the place, as you know. It's a good time to see the world because there ain't that many people out. There's, there's nothing open. It's, it's, it's fantastic. You can get all the takeout you want. How was your weekend, man? Did you save some money this weekend? No, 
No, was I supposed to? No, I just wondered because I thought maybe you'd turn over a new leaf here, save a dollar or two. That'd be fun. No? You're no. just looking at me like, yeah, pass. We got a great show today, OG. Bill Perkins coming down to the basement talking about dying with zero. We've got some great headlines. Today's show brought to you by Student Loan Hero. If you're going to start paying off your student loans. Yeah, and by the way, if you're in deferment, time to start paying Uncle Sugar again here in another uh, month or so, right? All these programs ending. Yeah, not just for student loans, the mortgage program. Yep. How many people do you think took that mortgage program and then all of a sudden they're going to get uh, three months, four months bills all at once? Are we going to see uh, we going to see foreclosures just all over the place? Don't know. Who knows? If you're ready to start paying off your student loans or you're ready to begin your college journey and you think it's going to require student loans, head to studentloanhero.com. That's studentloanhero.com. Great show. We got so much to cover, so let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Yahoo Finance and Yahoo. Uh, Remember that ad? It feels so good. You know how you start reporting on stuff and then you kind of forget that you reported on it. You made a prediction and it starts coming true. You go, yeah, we saw that coming a long time ago. I can successfully say that you and I, you and I may have seen this coming. This actually also, uh, it's, it's Yahoo Finance, but it's via Bloomberg. Uh, Claire Ballantine wrote this. Claire writes, the wave of cost cutting that's been sweeping the more than $6 trillion global market for exchange traded funds for the past two years may finally have reached its limits. Zero. In the space of a few weeks, the first and only fund, remember this fund, we talked about this one, that paid people to invest. It paid you to invest. Switched over to a new owner and started to charge. Who knew that giving money away wasn't a sustainable model? Well, and every company's done this, right? I mean, all the robos started out really, really low. They're still low, but they increased their fees. Uh, some of them did it kind of below board and went, you know, we're just going to create this new fund that costs Hello, Wealthfront. three times. Oh, well, if you're throwing shade, I guess. There, there, shade. there it is. You know, and all the rest of them increased them. And by the way, by the way, you want this to be the case. You want the organizations that you do business with to be profitable. Because to do that, to be profitable means they can reinvest, means that they can hire smart people, means that they have an ongoing operation. You don't want to walk into an establishment that's all about like the bare bottom minimum, you know, anything, because there's nothing left over to hire really good people. There's no, you know, Bob Iger was probably one of the best CEOs Disney's ever had. Whether or not you think he should make $30 million or $3 million is, is irrelevant. The market commands a certain amount of money. And if Disney wasn't profit, Disney's like, you know what? $100 a ticket's too much. You know, we should charge 18 so everybody can come. Well, now there's not extra money to build new rides. There's not extra money to build new uh, hotels or parks or whatever the case may be. So in financial technology type companies... You want them to have some profit so they can innovate, so they can have some extra money to reinvest and do the next thing. So there's a fine line. I'm not going to pick where that number is. Is it 1% or 30 basis points? I don't know. Well, we definitely have seen- It's if, not free. And it's not pay and you. And it's not pay you. That we know. 
Also, by the way, one of the few zero fee ETFs has also been shut down completely. Two products were unrelated, uh, Claire writes, but the twin events look like confirmation of what many in the industry have long believed, including you and I, the fee war could only go so far. Now they're preparing for what they hope will be a new era that places more value on strategy and returns than on price point. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy cowboy. Why would we focus on value instead of cost? Why, why would we, why would we focus on what we actually get instead price of just paying less? Only matters. Price only matters in the absence of value. Painful. Let's see what the ETF is here. Salt Financial made headlines last year by releasing the Salt Low True Beta U.S. Market ETF. Low which, beta? Which would, <laughs> it's low true beta. Whatever the hell that means. Salt Low True Beta. None of those words together. U.S. Market sense. ETF. It would temporarily pay investors with holders receiving 50 cents for every thousand. I think I remember this. Isn't this what we call a Ponzi scheme? Until it grew to $100 million or April 2020 when a $2.90 management fee could kick in a $2.90 management fee per what it must be per thousand. So I'm going to give you money and then at a certain threshold, then I'm going to start charging you money. Yeah. That was a terrible marketing plan. See, don't suck. How about that as a strategy for investing? And so then you don't have to pay people to buy your crap. Everybody was just waiting for it to reach hundred million. How far did it get? <laughs> 18, 12, $12 million. Yeah. And how much of that was like startup money? Uh, the issuer announced uh, last month that that fund, along with another salt product, the, the Salt High True Beta U.S. Market ETF, would be acquired by Pacer Advisors, which started charging the $2.90 fee in May and is currently down about 10% this year. Could you imagine being the, the, the person that put in the first 10 million, like the, you know, the founding money, the 10 million that goes in? All right, Mr. Smith, now listen, you put in 10 million, we're going to give you a dollar 75. Uh, but it's my money, right? So you just give me my money. No, no. No, we're giving it to you. But out of what? Out of uh, well, it's out of our fees that we charge. But you don't charge any fees. But if we did, we would pay you. So basically you're just giving me my money back. Uh, well, that's one way to think about it, but not the correct way. I'd be thinking about it like it's a negative fee. Hey, look over there. Wait, are those dogs? No, the, it's dogs and ponies. Great news. And ponies. We're only 90 million away from you starting to pay us. I thought, I thought I was paying you. No, no, that's, that's our money that we're giving back to you that you gave to us. The, I, I also don't get this quote for the founder. Quote. This is Alfred Escander, co-founder and president of Salt Financial. Even though it worked in the sense that it raised assets. I know that I know that $12 million to, to most of us. Like if I had $12 million, that would be a lot of money. It'd be just dial tone on the other end. Of, like there'd be just a cardboard cutout of Joe. When you're managing money across the card for table. other people, $12 million is not a lot of money. Kind of a crappy year. Even though it worked in the sense that it raised assets, it didn't raise assets. Yeah. That was the problem. It says it didn't raise them enough for us to feel that being in the retail business made sense. You, you missed it by $88 million. <laughs> so close. Also, I think he needs to go back to business school on the idea of what retail is. Retail is something when you take a product at wholesale and you sell it to someone else with a slight markup. That's your retail markup. You don't pay people to buy groceries from you if you're Kroger. 
hey, if you can come in and buy a pack of toilet paper, we'll give you 75 cents. Uh, okay. How, how much are apples? Oh, if you buy apples from us, we'll give you $1.50. Hmm. But the apples are only 48 cents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great deal for us. It's re- hashtag retail. The other fun was in Australia. It was the pinnacle a shares dynamic cash management fund. Uh, Doesn't sound very dynamic. The, the, no, okay. dynamic cash management. We're going to get all of 0.05. It was a money market like fund aiming to pay above the official interest rate without management fees. Fund was suspended last month with uh, 4 million Australian dollars, which. Well, in American dollars, that's like 2.7 million, it says. Well, less than a year after it launched. Ruined my joke, but maybe the salt guy should have just taken Australian money. Then he would have had thirty-six million. He, he would have been so close. I can't believe that free and giving money away are not good strategies. Yeah, very strange. Not a, not a sound retail. Our philosophy. second headline comes to us from themotleyfool.com. Christy Bieber wrote this one. Is that Justin's, Justin's sister? Justin's sister. Yeah. Yeah. Christy, I bet she's never heard she's, that joke before. <laughs> She's she's listening, going, no, no. Uh, scary headline here. Almost half of all retirees have to make big spending cuts within five years of retiring, report says. This is, uh, this is ugly. You believe this number. Have to or supposed to. Running short of money, she writes, is the biggest fear of many retirees. Unfortunately, it can happen sooner than you think. In fact, this is where it comes from. According to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, only 51% of retirees who left work between 92 and 2014 had enough income to maintain the same spending level for five consecutive years. Sadly, for those retirees who ran short after just half a decade, big spending cuts quickly became necessary. In fact, those who couldn't continue to spend at the same level ended up reducing their expenses by 28% by their sixth year retirement compared to their expenditures in year one. People retire OG. And, uh, I saw this all the time. I would create a budget with my client getting ready to go into retirement and we get halfway through year one and they go, I need a boat. I need a new car. I need, I need to change around the inside of my house. I thought I'd redo my kitchen because I'm finally there all the time. Like you see these, these uh, stories lately about everybody redoing their house right now, Uh because now that I'm trapped in my house, I want it to look nice. Uh, That first year retirement, such a, such a change. What a tough time. Well, and that's also why you have to be very conservative on your spending plan. And I don't mean conservative in terms of like only spend a little bit. I mean, be be conservative in terms of assuming that you're going to spend more than you are currently spending. And nobody is going to be financially, but nobody's going to retire and say, gosh, I can't wait to retire and live on half my income. That's, you know, when you see those ballpark calculators, you only need 80% of your income to live on. I mean- even if you were saving 20% of your income, which by the way, not a lot of people do, some do, maybe you can say you can live on 80% of your income, but we'd like to look at it from the perspective of saying, no, you're going to, you're going to move right from the last day of work into the first day of retirement and you're still going to go out to eat and you're still going to travel probably more by the way. And you're still going to do all the same stuff that you do right now. Why would you do anything different? This is like the 30 year old retiring to a tent with just a couple hundred thousand dollars that they've saved just because you can, doesn't mean that you should. And it doesn't mean that you want to live that way forever. Yeah. You just, you know, you just don't know, but 
from the retirement perspective, as you're starting to think about that, if you're 10 years out from retirement, if you're 15 years out from retirement, I don't know, like if you're going to redo your kitchen, why don't you redo it now? Why do you have to wait 20 years and then go, ah, that sucks. <laughs> you know, like do it when you've got the money, when you've got the cash flow, when you've got the ability to, you know, work on saving, or if you're going to use a line of credit or something like that and borrow the money to do it, that's, that's fine. But work on having a lot of that stuff done so that when you get into retirement, you know, you're, you're enjoying it. This is why the discussion needs to be longer. I really like the discussion that you and I had last Monday for people that missed Monday's episode last week. We discussed a, a Reddit user who had 10 things to think about. And while neither you nor I uh, think that that was a complete list, OG, it, it went way further. That list went way further than what a lot of people do, which is, oh, I think I can live on X amount. Like you say, 80% versus, no, I want to redo my kitchen and I I think I want to do these things that I've never done before. I think I want, and, and putting together more of an aggressive plan that feels much more realistic, something that you can see instead of just, yeah, I'm going to play golf. I think about the retirement journey as going down the road and you got to pay tolls at certain spots. And you think about these along the way, you've got young kids, eventually you got to hit the toll booth of college and then you get to the toll booth of retirement. And every year you're going to hit that toll booth again. But along the way, you're going to say, but, but I also want to take the, the, the family on a cruise. That's 25 grand. I want to redo the kitchen. That's 50. Every six years I need a new car. That's 30. You know, and you start putting those things out there and then you can, then you can start backfilling the buckets of money that you need. And when it's not just as simple as I just need five grand a month. And the other thing that happens, people don't really recognize or appreciate the impact of you know, just that ballpark, let's say 4% rule, you got a million bucks, you're living on 40 grand a year. The impact of going, well, just this year, I'm going to, I'm going to spend 70 because you do that in January, you don't know what the market's going to return by December. So if you started with a million, you take out 70 for your expenses for, for this year, now you're at 930 and then the market goes down 20%. That's another minus 180. You went from a million on January one, year one of retirement to 750 give or take. Ouch. Now the 4% thing on 750 tells you what? A lot less Now you got to live on 28,000, but you just got, now last year you spent 70. How are you going to go from 70 to 28? You're not gonna, you're going to say, well, it'll recover, but it can't. If you, if, the whole 4% thing is, is, is you have to just stick with that number forever because it's going to allow for the, for the ups and downs of the market. If you violate one of those rules, and you guess wrong and the market takes a crap the, the year that you do it, you know, it just spirals out of control immediately. Those are Christie's uh, points, by the way, set ambitious retirement savings goals specifically out of the gate so that you know that if, if listen, if I can live on a lot of money and I decide not to spend as much, then I'm good because I don't want to go the other way, right? It's, it's kind of a one-way street. Set the goal high and not spend that much. And that's why we talk about the last doubling being the most important. You know, I went through this exercise with my son the other day. He's got 1500 bucks in a stockpile account and he's 13. So we did the whole, like, it's going to double every eight years. Boom, 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 boom. I said, yeah, you're sitting on 600 grand. If you never saved another penny when you're 70, this is worth 600 grand plus or minus, right? But it's Tesla stock. It's going to double every eight months. Well, there's that. Do that one. Yeah. You just have to be right like one or two times with those things. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. Uh, that's Better yet, one. it's Tesla options. <laughs> they double every eight minutes. 
establish a safe withdrawal rate right away. Uh, that 4% rule might not be what you think it is. If you can afford to do it with less, then, uh, then that's better. Of course, maximize your Social Security benefits. Man, we've had uh, Larry Kutlikoff on talking about Social Security in the past. Uh, we will have uh, Richie, our producer, link to that episode. Dig into Social Security ahead of time, especially no matter who you are, but especially if you're married, if you have a second marriage situation, there's just so many, so many ways people get social security wrong. And then uh, last, it says, don't let your quality of life decline as a retiree. I'll link to this in the show notes. Hey, I know we deliberately tried to not teach you anything here on the Stacking Benjamin show, but a show that does try to teach you something and a guy who's taught me a lot about podcasting and about life is my friend, Jordan Harbinger. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. It's a podcast you should definitely check out because if you're listening to us, of course, you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by the most interesting people like OG and I and definitely our friend Jordan. Jordan's show covers a wide variety of topics, weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. In fact, it's funny. Some of, the, some of my favorite shows lately that Jordan's had have been some topics that I hear them and I'm like, oh, we should be covering that. Coffeezilla, how to expose fake guru scams. We talk all the time about these guru scams. Oh, gee, that's a fantastic one. Of course, Coffeezilla is a fantastic YouTuber. And then also Mark Cuban, Tales from the Shark Side. Cuban's always interesting. But you put a guy like Mark Cuban with a guy like Jordan Harbinger. Jordan always makes people more interesting. In fact, it's funny. Jordan, I've learned so much about podcasting from Jordan. Every time Jordan and I talk, I come away with just the most interesting tidbits. In fact, I did do a very difficult interview for another podcast recently, and I thought to myself something that Jordan taught me, which is you don't owe anything to anybody except your listener, and they don't have a mouth, so while you're talking, you have to be the mouthpiece for the person yelling. So if your listener is ever yelling anything like, why are, why are you asking them that? Why are you wasting time on this? Or why aren't you talking about that? I immediately think of Jordan. And he always asks these great questions. Bob Saget on recently talking about comedy changing. And it's funny how much that has to do with life in general. Gary Kasparov, Bill Nye, just a ton of great guests he always talks to and seems to get so much from them. So there's an episode for everybody though, no matter what you're into, the show covers stories like how professional art forger made somehow made millions of dollars being chased by the feds and the mafia. Of course, Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control, how it can alter the partners we pick and how going, going out or off the pill could change elements of our personalities. Podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull a useful piece of advice from his guests. I promise you You'll find something useful you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. I listen to the show. Think you should too. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us now. I think that, uh, I think our takeaways today are number one, setting a reasonable expectation for retirement instead of having to cut it five years in much, much better idea. Uh, but I think the biggest takeaway 
believe it or not, focusing on value instead of the price might be, might be the place to start. Free or investments that also come with money being paid to you by the manager may not be sustainable. Bill Perkins lives in the U.S. Virgin Islands. You haven't been there. You've been to the Caymans, but never to the Virgin Islands. Correct. Dropping off your bags of money in the Caymans? Absolutely. That, that bank account mm-hmm. there? Bill is an energy trader and a movie investor. But what I really like about Bill is that he sees everything he does as just an engine for personal growth. Isn't it amazing how some of these uh, poker players, just no matter what they do, OG, it's all about personal growth. Like you see these people that retire early and then you've got somebody like Bill who's like, yeah, I don't do this because it's my career. I do it because it's fun. I do because yeah. it it's because well, what else would I do? Why would I, why would I do something else? Bill's the CEO of uh, Brisa Max Holdings consulting service firm. He was called the last cowboy in a recent Wall Street Journal profile. And he also calls himself a Z-list celebrity because he's not famous <laughs> enough to even make it to D-list. Well, you know, he's, nice. an, he's an A-list celebrity starting today, OG, because he's, he's coming on with us. Very fun guy to talk to. You're about to hear Bill Perkins on My Dad Shortwave Radio. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's our new friend, Bill Perkins. How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing absolutely great. Okay. How are you? Well, I'm good, (laughs) but but I got to tell you, you're doing a little better than me because I want to paint a picture for people. As you know, Bill, we have the only shortwave radio that has video. And I'm looking at this (laughs) disgusting view behind you. Just a uh, horrible yeah. view. How do you, how do you stand yeah. that? Well, paint for me a picture. Where are you and what does it look like behind you? I'm about 30 minutes uh, south of Corinth. We just went through the Corinth Canal. And for people who don't know where that is, because I didn't know where it was until just recently, I'm in Greece. I'm in the Greek waters. I'm on my way to an island called Paros. I don't, I've never been there. I'm excited to go see it. That's kind of where I'm at. So you, you wouldn't want to be here. It's not, it's not, you know, it's beautiful. I'm very lucky to be here. I feel like it, it might be second to where I am here in Texarkana, Texas, probably a close second. Oh, wow. Texarkana, huh? Absolutely. Not far from where uh, you've worked in Houston. I want to ask first about where you're at now, because people that know you, I've heard they call you an honorary billionaire because you, because you live like a billionaire. Is that true? People think I'm a billionaire because I'm spending money like you know, to them, it's going out of style, like I was going to die tomorrow. And um, I love to convert money into experiences. And so they give me the title, the honorary billionaire, because if you look at Warren Buffett, let's say, you know, it doesn't seem like he does anything but play bridge and, and go to meetings. And, you know, it's like, what was the purpose of the money? And whereas if you see me, I'm, it's almost like I'm lighting the money on fire, according to them. But from where you sit, you do that intentionally because I feel like you feel like you didn't start doing this enough. Like you didn't get intentional early enough in your life, Bill. Yeah, I I was a fairly young and arrogant kid, I guess, you know, young adult at the time. I thought to myself, that was great at first until my boss was like, are you an effing idiot? You know, (laughs) saving the money I was saving and not 
having experiences and it kind of shook me for a little bit and confirmed the things that I saw. I was like, yeah, why would I, why would I put off these experiences that I want to have until I was 65 or 70? That doesn't make sense. 70 year olds don't go to the club. I've never seen a 70 year old in line at the club. What's the purpose of the money? You know, I'm thinking like a young adult would be, you know, as I'm getting closer and closer and older in those ages, I know there's a, you know, that was kind of like an ageist view of later in life, but there was a point, even though I was wrong on the magnitude, I, I, I was right in the direction and that, you know, certain experiences were meant to be had at certain times. And that if I delayed that gratification to later in my life, it would be no gratification. In fact, it's funny. You had that thrown in your face by your roommate. I mean, you're making barely any money. You're working on Wall Street. Your roommate takes off for Europe. What were you thinking at that time that he was doing? It sounds like you thought he was crazy. Yeah, I, I thought he was absolutely nuts. He, he he actually borrowed money from a loan shark. We're living in his uh, one bedroom apartment, which he converted like a little space off the kitchen, put up like a small plaster wall and like a place about the size of the pizza oven. I, I rented from him. I was living in there, which most people live in pizza ovens in New York City. That's a little known fact. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I was trying to work my way up Wall Street and I was like, what the hell? Are you crazy? You know, this guy's going to break your legs. You're not going to be paying back. You're going to, you know, derail your career, spending all this money, blah, 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 blah. Of course, the greatest FOMO of my life at that time, it may have been surpassed by a couple of events. You know, I missed out on a wonderful adventure he had that, quite frankly, you know, sleeping in youth hostels, catching train rides, meeting young people, couch surfing going to different countries, visiting certain areas. And this was pre-internet, pre, you know, 3D, VR, whatever. You had to go go there and experience it. When he came back with new friends and stories, I was just like, oh, wow, I'm the idiot. You know, I missed out. At first, it was just a little bit of tinge of missing out. But as time passed and I finally got to the point where I like had money and I was ready to take a vacation I was too bougie to do the trip that he did. And even though I can go to Europe, I wasn't going to have the same experience, right? There's, it's Europe at 21, 22, 23, 24, single backpacking on a shoestring budget and having an adventure is totally different on this plan. Like, oh, I'm going to go to the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre and tour guide in this fancy restaurant. It, it's just it's just a totally different experience that I missed out on. And I, I regretted it and still regret it to this day. You and I are close to the same age, and it, but and it sounds like as, as I'm reading your words, and even as I'm listening to you now, Bill, you're talking about how life has these stages, and instead of just spending all your time planning on the next stage, to, to, to live the stage you're in. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, you, you, you definitely want to do some planning of the stages, like break it down into this next year or this five-year age bucket, right? And the things you want out of your life. You know, when you look a little further out, let's say you're 25 and you know you want to have kids and you want to get married, certain events or things you want to do are not for when you have kids and you're married. It will interfere with those those adventures you want to have or the things you want to do. And so some of those, you either do them now and you take advantage of the now or you put them to way, way later on in your life. So let's say you get married, you have kids, two, three, empty nester. You know, you're talking 40 years in the future or I mean, not 40 years, like 30 years in the future. And and you may never have them or that time period may pass. 
you know, when I say delayed gratification, a lot of people say, oh, you got to spend it before you die. It's not just like when you die, because you lose the ability to enjoy certain activities before you die. You know, health is a big one, right? As your health declines, like the memories of, of me playing football are much greater than me playing football. Like if you watch me play football now, it'd be a disaster. I pull my <laughs> hamstring on the after running three yards, you know, <laughs> you know, the, so I, I have my memories right now give me greater pleasure of things I have done than actually doing them. Now your attitude changes, my rave days, you know, glow sticks in a club partying, you know, I pretty much don't have the temperament for that anymore. You know, I remember one time that it was a lot of fun and, and you know, I mean, I could take a simple example when, tic-tac-toe was fascinating to you or, you know, hide and seek was fascinating to you. And, and, and as you go through life, more complex activities lose their, their luster to you. And on that note, you write a little bit about the fire movement, right? And you're very familiar with the fire movement. And I feel right. like some of your book is a little anti-fire movement. And I know you're a big fan of Vicki Robin, but on the other side, right. I think what you're saying is, you know, you, you and I both, Bill, see these people that are 27, 28 years old trying to uh, give away all the fun today so that they can have this early retirement later. What do you say to those people? I mean, I, first of all, I love the fire guys because the one thing they get right is they have an awareness of what they want. They kind of really check in and they're not on autopilot per se with consumerism. Like I want the new shirt and the fancy car or whatever. They're like, what do I really want out of life? But they make their goal so much on early retirement they forget to live. What they're doing is, is that let's say the guy is going to retire at 40. That's his early retirement. Well, from 20 to 40, there are experiences that are meant just for 20 to 40. For each person, you know, you might have these things you want to put in this time bucket and this person might have these things in the time bucket. But to deprive yourself of those experiences is to deprive yourself of life and living. There is no jail cell you can construct that I want to go live in, <laughs> right? And basically, they're creating a jail for themselves. And then they're like, oh, when I'm 40, I'll get out of jail and I'll go live. And I'm like, well, you really missed out on this, 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 and you're never going to get it back. Death is not the only arbiter of you can't do stuff anymore. You know? Yeah. There are many, many time periods and breaks in your life that you can't do this anymore. Ask any guy who gets married who used to be single. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right or woman. Right, woman, I was going to say. used to be single. Any right? woman who used to be single. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm not doing that anymore, you know? So You have a fantastic concept in your, in, in your book that you call the memory dividend. I mean, you're an investor. You're presenting experience as if it's an investment. Can you explain this idea of a, of a memory dividend? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's one of the biggest concepts in the book. And I, I want to give a little little context. Uh, you know, when you when you invest your money and you're saving money, you're getting a return on that money in order to delay gratification for an experience. The first experience that you're saving for is survival. Then after you've saved for survival, like the day you're not going to work and you're going to live off in it, you're saving for experiences that you want to have in the future. It could be I want to go on a carnival cruise when I'm 65 or whatever it is. But it's for fun stuff that you picked out that you want to do. It could be charitable. It could be anything. It's any I'm using experience in the broadest sense. And so these experiences give you pleasure. 
right? When you, when you, when you go on a vacation or you go to your daughter's recital, et cetera. But not only do you get pleasure from the actual experience, you get pleasure from the memory of that experience and the recall of that experience. Anybody who's hit a home run, anybody who's had a first kiss, anybody who's gone on a vacation. And not only do you get experiences when you recall them, when you discuss those experiences, they compound, right? You're creating a new experience, right? I went on safari and I saw the, this elephant and then he chased us and blah, blah, blah. People are listening. You're laughing. You're creating a new experience of connecting with your friends and telling a story. So even after you're too old to actually do said experience for me playing football, or, or running very fast, I'm able to recall the memory of the experiences of me playing football, and I get pleasure out of them. And so with money in the bank, you only get so many withdrawals. You'll get your interest rate, you get so many withdrawals, and you run out. But with investing in an experience, when you put that experience in the memory bank, you get infinite withdrawals. And you have the potential for infinite compounding. So you know, I, um, I tell people invest in experiences because, you know, people have this idea, I'm going to retire on this money. And I'm like, no, you're not. The data shows that that's not what's going to happen. Most people, as they age, they do less and less, they spend less and less, and they create less and less experiences. The data is very clear on that. And what they really retire on is their memories. So when people say, oh, what are you doing on this trip? I'm like, I'm investing in my retirement. Yeah. You have a story that's the converse of this. I think the I, I think it's the anti Bill Perkins, uh, a friend of yours, John Arnold, who's a guy that maybe some people here know. Tell John's story because I think you make a great point there too, Bill. John and I, you know, he started his hedge fund, and I, I went to go work with him. And John was like, "Hey, when I get to, uh, I think it was ten million. I, I think no, I think it was fifteen million because that's the price you could buy a certain jet he wanted to have, et cetera." He's like, if I'm still doing this after I make 15 million, punch me in the face and get me out of here. <laughs> Literally punch me in the face. That was my job to punch him in the face if he kept doing his job. So this is very telling, right? This is something like, hey, I'm not coming in here because I love it. And this is my passion. I'm here for the money. And when I get the money, make sure I get the hell out. But right? you di but you didn't well, punch him in the face. No, I was like, John, what are you going to do? So John rocketed past this. Like, let's say he got to like 35. I, I, I was like, John, I'm supposed to punch you in the face. No, no, no. Blah, 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 blah. 50, 50 became 100. 100 became a billion. Billion became two. Yeah. And so on. What happened was is basically John then accumulated and went to work for money he will never spend. He will never convert that into experiences. And although John went into philanthropy to give his money away, he won't even give the money away in his lifetime and the projects efficiently. He doesn't have the capacity to identify all the things that he feels worthy and that he can be effective in and deploy the capital. So from my standpoint, when I look at John, I'm like, wow, this guy wasted two years of his life. He should have quit, you know, two years of his life that he could have been doing, spending time with his kids or doing X, Y, and Z or creating memory dividends, et cetera. He just, he just worked past the point of utility for himself. Now I'm not like, John, I can find a way to spend $2 billion real fast in experiences. But I'm just <laughs> saying, as an example, we have someone here who's basically working for money that they'll never spend. And even though John's a billionaire and he's the extreme case, you know, be like, oh, wow, nice problem to have. 
those who save save too much. And a lot of people are doing the same thing. They're growing their wealth in their 70s. You know, and I'm like, when does the party start? It's great that you're saving. okay, but can you tell me when's the party start? Because what are we investing for? What are we delaying gratification for? What's the thing that you feel that it's best to be 75, 80 to have this party or even 65? And a lot of people don't have an answer, right? They, they, I think they, they get on autopilot and they make up reasons. And I think what happens is, is people get really good at what they're doing, right? You stick them in a career path. They're, you know, they want to make it. They want to make money. And they're like, hey, I'm young. I'm going to go make money and then I'm going to be able to do all this. But they get really good at what they're doing and they form this habit and they lose touch of why they were going to work. The experiences that they wanted to purchase, And so I have a habit of like, what am I working for? I got to want something. Now, a lot of people out there, survival, of course, but kids college, there's lots of things to save for and plan for. But above and beyond that, what's the thing? Is it the trip? Is it that, et cetera? And then you might find that, hey, I really wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, but that's for now. I'm not going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro when I'm 67. Maybe some of you will, but I'm just using me as an example. I'm not. Not with my back <laughs> and my football injuries. <laughs> if, I'm, if that's an activity that I'm going to have, it's going to be now. There are many seasons in your life that start and come to an end. And for each person, they need to identify those seasons and appropriately stick those experiences in the proper bucket. I don't know if the audience knows the game Tetris. There used to be a game where all these shapes would come down and you have to get the shapes in order and and you would get a high score by packing these shapes in correctly. I look at life like that. Like God goes, hey, here's all your resources you're going to have. And these are all the experiences you can have in your life. Take them all. Have them all. Have a ball. Just have an adventure. There's only one problem. You got to get the order right. Yeah. The experiences go in a certain time period. And if you don't get that ordering right, then you don't get all those experiences that you potentially could have and the benefit of having those experiences, you know, the compounding memory dividend of those, right? Because when you have an, when I had an experience playing football, I got, let's say I got, let's just make an arbitrary number. Let's say I got 10 point, 10 experience points out of it, 10 satisfaction, life fulfillment points of it. But every time I talk about that game where I scored a touchdown or that whatever, I get one experience point of enjoyment out of it. Well, you know, over 50, 60 years, the actual memory of it is a greater experience than the actual event. So I always say, just like, you know, when, you know, the investor gurus out there that like, you know, when you when, when's a good time to invest now, early and often. Well, the time to invest in experience is now early and often. You played uh, football. You mentioned it a few times, I believe, is in Iowa Hawkeye, right? Yeah. When I finally got to college, I played the bench and I played it well, but yes. (laughs) Well, that's what I was, that's what I was actually wondering about, Bill. Was your favorite experience as a Hawkeye being beaten by the Michigan State Spartans? Was that your best feeling, best time? Yeah. Yeah. It's so romantic. You know, I'm feeling very sexy thinking about it. (laughs) You go to hell. (laughs) I had to get that in. I had to. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Uh, but what's interesting, but your dad was a football player too, correct? Yeah, he, he got to Iowa in 59. So he played 59, 60, 61, 62. You know, the funny thing is the process of writing this book, I thought he was on the 59 Rose Bowl team. 
because all the older players that knew him, whatever they were on the team, but he got there in 59 and the Rose Bowl was played in 59. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he got to the Big Ten Championship. So I learned a little bit about my dad playing this. Circling back just for a moment, Bill, for a lot of people listening to this, you know, somebody who's middle class or somebody who's struggling to meet and make ends meet, they're worried about barely making it right about about just getting in. But I think you make a good point that this isn't just for rich people. This is kind of that your philosophy is for everybody. I mean, this was as important to you when you were making fifteen thousand dollars working on Wall Street as it is now while you're sailing through Greece. Exactly. And I think most of the philosophy that I formulated was actually when I was broke and very aspirational. In different times of your life, you'll have varying degrees of three resources that are very important. Your money, your time, okay, and your health. The choices you make with those resources are very important and you still have to order them, right? Whether it's like, hey, I'm going to go on a hike with my daughter this afternoon instead of watching TV because there's going to be a time when your kids are just like, ah, I don't want to hang out with you anymore, which I'm going through right now with, with a teenager to when you have lots of money, right? And so you really want to start thinking about where you are now to the grave, what experiences you want to have and when based on the resources you have. And if, if, you, if you're in that side, you know, I was on that side where it's like, hey, I really need to be focused on saving up for survival because I haven't had that covered yet. There's, there's expertise out there that'll help you do that. But, you know, my book and my philosophy is kind of like this overarching optimization within their sub optimizations. Like if you're at the, the side of the coin where you're struggling and you need a little of the fire movement in your life because you're over consuming on material things or you need to save a little bit better or you need to, you know, optimize there are books out for that. And there's there's strategies for that. But mine is more of a 10,000 foot overview of your entire life on how to get the most out of it, to make sure that while you're doing these strategies of surviving or thriving or spending, that you're doing it in the least wasteful way possible. And when I, the waste I'm talking about is of your life, the hours of your life. How does poker fit into your overall worldview? Poker is a great social game. I mean, you know, there are a lot of games. I love chess as well, um, but poker mimics life in many ways. It's risk taking. There's math and calculation. There's reading the table with uh, eight other people, plus a dealer, nine, who are very interesting from all walks of life. And, and you're, you're sitting there for four or five hours in close proximity and you, you get to meet very interesting people and you get a great experience out of that. Like one, connecting with people, whether it be a uh, personal or uh, relationship that buds from that or a business relationship that buds from that. It's the stuff of life, and, and I really enjoy it while I'm also sharpening my mental skills playing a game of poker. You know, anybody who is out there who's starting a business or going out on their own or working, right, they're taking more risk in their life than I am at the poker table on a relative basis. And so it's a great, great mirror of life and coupled with the fact that it's a great social game. And then my last question, Bill, I want to lean on your experience with with what you you also do around oil and natural gas and energy markets. You saw, as we saw here at Stacking Benjamins, OG and I, you know, the stories about um, amateurs really taking it on the chin when you had uh, that thing happen about a month, month and a half ago, when all of a sudden oil futures completely flipped. 
Um, number one, what do yeah. you think about amateurs getting into the type of stuff that you do every day? And then number number two is, what do you think is going to happen next in the oil markets? You know, there's a way to be an amateur, and that's under the tutelage of a large organization with other people's money. You know, unless you spent years and years and years studying the fundamentals of said product, it's very, very dangerous game. And, you know, it's kind of like being an amateur boxer. You're eventually going to get knocked out by the pros. And so I didn't come out out of the gates as an amateur saying, hey, I'm going to go trade energy futures. You know, I, I, I traded <laughs> for a firm. I learned under the tutelage of other people who have been around. I understood the fundamentals, how, how the market works, how the physical flows, how the financial works, et cetera. And even then it was tough. Right. And so, you know, I'm not saying there aren't some super wizards out there. But, it, you know, it's kind of like driving, how everybody says I'm above average driver. Can't be true, right? And so right. it's a very, very dangerous game to play as an amateur. You but. know there's some guy in Peoria right now. He's got a swimming pool full of oil because he took delivery. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Like not understanding the mechanics of the, you know, like a lot of people got hurt not understanding the mechanics that the futures could actually go negative uh, about liquidity, understanding the liquidity of the market because it really shouldn't have gone negative. But there was a perfect setup for a low liquidity liquidation, people having to get out and then, you know, getting blown out. I've seen it to the upside in natural gas. There was a firm called optionsellers.com and they were true to their word. They sold options and a lot of people put money into selling options and then they didn't realize that they could lose more than the money that they had in their account with them. Oh. And so – it was a very, very painful lesson for them in commodities and, and, and the volatility, volatility there. And, you know, hey, I, I'm not one to piss on anybody's dreams. I, I just here to point out the risk reward. And I, I think that a lot of people are like, what should I invest in? What should I invest in? And I always say invest in yourself, something that you can learn your education and do well at. I think punting off in commodities as an amateur is is not really investing yourself. It's a it's gambling. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, uh, the book is called uh, Die With Zero, Getting All You Can From Your Money and Your Life. Bill, it's available everywhere, I assume. Everywhere. Everywhere. At least everywhere online. Online is everywhere. <laughs> so it, it's definitely it's definitely in your Barnes and Nobles, your Amazons, your independent bookstores. Shout out to those independents out there that I don't I don't know the names, but I hope you guys uh, sell my book like mad. Um, <laughs> if, you sh- if you if you want it, you should be able to get it. <laughs> well, I feel bad for you, brother, uh, having to yeah. endure the Greek Isles right now. Good luck with that. Uh, it just sounds yeah. absolutely horrible. I would like thoughts and prayers, please. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and yeah, I'm a little disappointed that Bill Perkins isn't all about wasting money. Experiences, Bill? Experiences. Come on! You can do better than that, man. But even though he's talking gibberish about getting more out of life, I still think I may have found a new hero because I didn't know Bill Perkins has made an absolute fortune playing poker. That guy has an estimated net worth of 55 million bucks. That's a lot of cheddar, all from playing cards, because uh, I'm sure that that energy trading thing doesn't really pay. It turns out that Joe and OG have been trying to inspire me for years and have failed. 
But good old Bill inspired me after a half-hour interview. You work fast, man, don't you? This actually gives me an idea, which I'll share after we get to today's trivia. So since gambling is going to make me rich, what city in the world is the number one gambling destination? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can go all in. Well, big thanks to Student Loan Hero for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, if you're ready to pay off your student loans, you can get your custom repayment plan from them. You can see how you can lower your interest rates, decrease your monthly payments, and find forgiveness. So whether it's refinancing, lowering payments, forgiveness, they have all of the resources that you need. Uh, they answer some of the important questions, OG, like should you refinance your federal student loans? You talked about the deferment period. You definitely want to know whether yours have been eligible or not. Maybe, maybe you haven't gotten a bill lately because you moved, or maybe you haven't gotten a bill lately because they stopped sending you a bill for the summer. 10 essential things to ask before refinancing your student loans. Ultimate guide to lowering your student loan payments. Public service loan forgiveness. Do you qualify? 20 different calculators, quizzes on student loans, must read articles and more. Student Loan Heroes, the place to go when you need help with your student loans. Head to studentloanhero.com for more. Hey, stackers and fellow gamblers. The fact that you listen to this show tells me you're a gambler. You're gambling your time that this show might actually be decent. So help a guy out here. I hit a bit of a snag in my plan for ultimate riches when I realized that I don't actually know how to play poker. But since I'm an innovative man, I've come up with a solution. I do know some other big money games, so I'm officially announcing right here that Neighbor Doug is going to dive deep into the world of high-stakes Uno. You know that moment when you realize you've been preparing for a moment your whole life? This is definitely that day. In fact, the gambling world won't know what hit them when they see how quick I am to say, Uno! And I can read my opponents like a book. That kid sitting across from me with a skip card. Yeah, I know that tell from a mile away, punk. Picking your nose just before you play it. I'm going to be wealthy. But because I'm a team player, before I revisit my practice regime, let's get you back to today's trivia. The question was this. What city in the world is the number one gambling destination? If you guessed Vegas, baby! And you successfully guessed the number two destination. To go to the number one city, you need to go east, way east, where you'll find a city called Macau, China, where gambling makes up 50% of the city's economy, and you can find any type of gambling that strikes your fancy. But has the world's top Uno player been there? Not yet, but I'm coming, Macau. I'm coming. Big thanks to Bill. Oh, gee, I think the theme there is live a little, live. Didn't need a poker player to tell me that. You and I had this discussion uh, yesterday about uh, being very comfortable with where you are, still mm -hmm. striving for more yeah. or doing better, but being very in the moment. You got to be careful. But, uh, you know, what's the sense of dying with 10 million bucks and have never gone to Disney? So I'm surprised he didn't uh, tell us when to hold them. Yeah. Or like how to fold. When to walk away, maybe. Sometimes you got to run. Well, you just shouldn't count your money when you're sitting at the table. No, Don't do that. There's plenty of time. Yeah. Counting. I, I can't believe that uh, 
that, that Bill didn't cover any of that. Hey, uh, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Quad aces, baby. Bam! Read them and weep, boys. Wouldn't that be wild, though, if it was, well, then King High Flush would beat that, right? No. Yeah, I mean, uh, a Royal Flush would beat it, yeah. Yeah. But four of a kind's number two, right? Yeah. And aces with King High. King High, eight, four of a kind aces, I think is the second best hand you could get. It would be the... I don't know. I, I don't know how to play poker. And when people ask me, they're like, hey, you want to come to poker night? I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to play. I really don't know how to play. They're like, cool, come on. We'll you're, teach you. You're my favorite person. Just bring we'll hundreds. Yeah, yeah. How much cash do you keep in the house? <laughs> you're going to need it all. Uh, it says your loved ones and your time is what you put first. Uh, or pocket what, aces, baby. What it says here. That's why uh, Haven Life is made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. If you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free quote. If you use our link, by the way, you tell them that we set you. And if... Uh, our friends at Haven Life ain't happy. Nobody's happy, right? Uh, Stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Application simple. Online, you get an instant coverage decision, and policies are issued by the 160-year-old insurer, Mass Mutual. Uh, today, we are going to throw out the lifeline to Jenny, otherwise known as Jenna. You ever see that movie? Jenny from the Block. Jenna. Yeah, never see it. Forrest Gump. Never heard of it. Don't know Forrest Gump. Jenna. No. Uh, say hi, Jenny. Hey, Joe and OG. I was doing a little mid-year review of my retirement accounts and was using Morningstar to do some research into some of the funds that I had selected. So I noticed that uh, most of the funds in my accounts are currently growth and blends, and I really didn't have any in the value side. I was curious if you could speak to growth funds versus value funds. Um, is this another sort of diversification that um, one's portfolio should have? Or are there different uses depending on maybe the time frame of when you plan to use the money? Keeping the end in mind, um, these are all retirement accounts. I'm age 30. Don't plan to use these funds for 30 plus years. So I really hadn't heard any podcast that I listened to speak to the differences between these types of funds. So don't really plan on learning anything from you guys, but at least I get a free t-shirt. So you can go ahead and put a size medium in the mail for me. Thanks guys. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for leaving us your size, even though uh, Gertrude is going to, just give you a code, but good stuff. I, I really like that question. Yeah. Growth versus value. I do. And, and I don't think that people look at that enough, by the way, you know, Jenny mentioned this site, Morningstar, which OG, I know is one of your favorite places to look at uh, investments. It certainly is one of my favorites. It's a third party rating service where you can look at all the characteristics of the funds that you own. And at first it's a little tough, like getting what the heck am I really looking at? The one thing I would tell people to do, make sure you don't pay a lot of attention to the star ranking. Uh, Morningstar has a system where they they grade uh, your fund on one star to they five look, stars. They look backward and go, this one did really good. Five stars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Uh, although, I mean, if it says one star or two stars, I may go, hmm, what's wrong with yeah. this phone? Don't, don't be a contrarian at yeah. that point. Yeah, no. But I would look at what, you know, you can look at the fees. If it's actively managed, you can look at your manager. You can look at the fun versus, uh, well, like she said, she, she noticed when she looked at Morningstar, most of her funds are in the growth area versus right. the value area. And, and by the way, Morningstar looks at two different things. They look at whether it's growth, a blend, or value. That would be three different things. Uh, well, two and or and a blend of the two in the middle was what I meant. Okay. But you're right; it is, I guess, three. Then, you know, interesting story. The guy who created the uh, Morningstar style boxes, which is, of course, now we all just think about as a requirement for diversification, did it on a napkin and was just like doodling. Like, I wonder how we can divvy these things out. Like, it was me- not meant for anything. It's a great idea, though. Yeah, it's a fantastic idea. But the, but and then the other way people look at investments is are they large companies, midsize or small, Mm -hmm. which is what he did. So he created this thing. It looks like a Rubik's cube. Um, Imagine those on two axes. But anyway, let's talk about growth versus value. OG, how those, how are those different? First of all? Well, the way that I think about this is up and coming companies versus well-established companies. It's probably pretty simplistic. I know that somebody's going to write in and go, actually the definition of value is a lower price to book. I get it. I get it. I'm telling the story, dude, back off person you made up for this yeah listen chump (laughs) aggressive person you made up for this yeah uh so so i would think about like apple is a growth company tesla is a growth company general motors i would put them in the value company i don't know if they are but like i just think like johnson and johnson value company been around a long time well-established systems and products and 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 solutions for customers you don't think of J&J as like the go-fasters, you know what I mean? So that's how I kind of divvy it up. And, and if you're thinking about this from the perspective of those boxes, so we're talking about Morningstar, and you can think about three columns and three rows and they intersect. So you've got nine different boxes. I'm only concerned with the outside boxes. Large growth and large value, small growth and small value. Mid-sized companies are the same thing as small companies. Like when you look at the correlation, the performance... How do mid-sized companies do compared to small-sized companies? They do the exact same. So if you have a mid-sized growth company and a small growth company, you got the same thing, one and the same. It's not going to provide any sort of diversification benefit. So I exclude that altogether. But if you look at how does a large growth company do versus a small value company, there's going to be some disparity. One's going to ebb when the other one flows. One's going to be up and the other one's going to be down. So there's some diversification effect there. What's happened lately is all of the performance has come from large U.S. growth. So when you look at the last decade of performance, and heck, you can look at the last 10 weeks of performance, what's done well? The NASDAQ, growth tech companies, like these large U.S. companies uh, that are that are grown like gangbusters are leading the pack. And so other areas aren't performing as well. But that's the idea with diversification, by the way. You just never know in advance if small value is going to beat large growth or a small growth going to beat large value, you don't have any idea. So it's a good idea to have, you know, some in each. Um, what percentage is appropriate? Like how much should I have in large versus small? Eh, that's up for you to decide. But I would say that the vast majority of our country's economy, which is kind of what you're investing in, right? The vast majority of that is represented by large U.S. companies. So if I were investing, I would say, the preponderance of my money is going to be on the large side versus the small side. 
I'm going to have small things. I'm going to have small-sized investments or small company investments, growth, growth, and value for diversification purposes, but I wouldn't split it like 50-50. You know, I, w- I would be a little bit more tilted toward the large side. But If I'm looking at uh, a company and I'm a growth investor versus a value investor, I think I just look at the same company differently. I say, Jenny, that you have a bakery. And if I'm a growth investor, what I care about most is are you going to be adding more stores? Are you going to be expanding? Mm-hmm. Are you going to expand your offerings? Like, are you going to take over the world? That's what a growth investor is worried about. Are you going to take over the world? A value investor is wor- not worried about any of that. Value investor worries about if we sold off your company for parts, if we, if we just dismantled it today, can I get more money for it than what the price is that's being offered. Yeah. Or are you going to make sure you pay me my dividend every quarter pretty yes. consistently? And as an example, as uh, Cheryl and I go around looking at houses, you can see there's two distinctly different neighborhoods. There, There is a neighborhood that I may pay a little more for, but it's in the hot rising neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Versus there's a house in a neighborhood where it looks like, you know, the neighborhood is coming back to life. And I can buy a house there that is undervalued uh, today and maybe put a little work into it and rehab the house. You know, you look at people that flip houses, they're value investors, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're flipping houses versus somebody who's building in the new neighborhood, a hot new neighborhood, hoping to get the the huge home run. Uh, So the interesting thing that we're seeing now is because there's been such a long consistency of large U.S. growth companies leading the pack. That's starting to tilt everybody's portfolio because that's the thing that's growing. You know, last year, 2019, the S&P was up 29%. Mostly it was due to Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook, and Netflix, right? All technology companies, all US. So that part of your portfolio goes up 30% while something else maybe went only up 5%. You're going to have a larger weighting in that. And now do that for 10 straight years. And you get conversations from from people about like, why do we even have this small company stuff? It's not doing anything. I want to put all my money in Tesla. That's doing it. Why do we even have international investments? They're sucking wind way back there. You know, U.S. has lapped them 10 times already. And it's true. But by the same token, if you look at a performance over time, or if you look at areas of, of the world or of, in the U.S. of the economy, small versus large, You'll see there's there's no predictable pattern to that. There's just as many times that value beats growth as growth beats value. Yeah, I In remember, fact, actually more times. Well, I was going to say before this last uh, decade run up OG, I remember seeing statistics of, you know, Vol- people out there listening. So which one's better? Which one should I invest in before this 10 year run up over a 30 year period of time? You, you sliced it different ways. You pretty much got there the same way, value or growth. You got there with a little less up and down with value. So if you liked, if you liked a little less roller coaster, you'd get there easier ride with, with value. But lately the last 10 years, it's been all growth has definitely skewed that. Yeah. All you have to do is just look at that. uh, You know, you look at that big giant, we call it an Ibbotson chart, right? The big mountain chart that says the growth of a dollar in big companies and small companies you know, over time, small companies hey, grow. OG. She's going to ask a question again. Sorry. She's like, hey, could you guys speed hey, it up? come on. Like, let's go. Zip, just- zip it, chatterbox. <laughs> Send me my shirt. Like, easy, cowboy. <laughs> That's enough. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Asked and answered, <laughs> your honor. 
anyways, so uh, small companies have actually done better than large companies over a long period of time. It's just so the the benefit of diversification is you don't have to play that game. You don't have to sit there. Imagine if in 2008 you're going, oh, I got to pick one of these. What do I think? And you look at the history and you go, yep, over a long period of time, value beats growth. I'm putting all my money in value. What would you have gotten over the last decade and a half? Womp womp. Oh, hold on a second. Let's see if I can. Yeah, kind of like that. There it is. So, okay, I get we we get it. We get I, it, button pusher. I just, I don't know how long that goes on for. It tells you. Does yeah, it really? I even know that. Here, let me see. Oh, it does. 11 seconds. Yeah. It's far okay. too many. That is, you could cut that to like four. But not this one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. Anyways, have some of all. Blend is also kind of that middle ground of like, pick one. Or be all blend. <laughs> be or either be- all blend or pick growth and value. Which is really what the S&P 500 used to be, was all blend. But now it definitely yeah, skews definitely growth. definitely skews large growth, yeah. Just because the S&P 500 is really the S&P five. 20 or 5. 5. S&P yeah. 5, yeah. Uh, thanks for the question, Jenny. You got a question for us? Be like Jenny. It's super easy to ask a question. We have uh, some fun answering it, especially when it's one like that, Jenny, that we don't get to answer often. And mom's friend Gertrude is going to send Jenny a T-shirt as a thank you for being brave enough to ask a question. All right. That's going to do it for today. Hey, uh, Doug's going to do most of the thanking. But we do have to say a big thanks to you for hanging out with us today. I know that um, there's a lot of podcasts out there. You can tell I've been on airplanes lately. There's a lot of choices for your airline travel. Thank you for flying Delta, which I will always say over you're Fly gonna, American. You're going to die on that hill? I, I'm going to die on that hill. Yeah. You mean, oh, don't do the American Airlines ran again, Joe? Is that what you're trying to say? No, that's okay. Also, big thanks uh, here to people that have even taken more time and they've left us a review because that shows people what they're getting into. Five stars here from Castell. And Castell, by the way, mom has put this review on the refrigerator. Normally, that would be for the Bridge Club to come by and she pretends not to point at it. But when she FaceTimes now for the Bridge Club. Now she always FaceTimes and has it right, right behind her there. Uh, Castell writes, I was reluctant to listen to a money show, but my wife introduced me to this and I like the engaging banter between the host and the other participants. It's a funny show where you learn important money info, though you don't realize it. My kind of show, Rich. Uh, That's the plan, baby. Castell's name is really rich. How about that? I bet Castell is richer because he listens to Stacking Benjamins. It's guaranteed, actually. I'm sure. (laughs) TM. TM. Guaranteed is the trademark. It's not really guaranteed. Exactly. Guaranteed, your experience may vary. Guaranteed to have a a varying experience. And lastly, but not leastly, we've slid into the second half of the year. Oh, gee, where did the first half of the year go? Uh, It was all Wednesdays. The first half of the year, nothing happened, except we had a pandemic, Australian wildfires, murder hornets. I sold almost all my possessions in my house. I lived at your house hanging out in uh, mom's temporary basement here now in Texarkana. By the way, big thanks to our friends, Mike and Dina. And nice of them to hanging out with them today. 
Thanks to OG for flying here still, to the temporary I'm, basement. I'm still kind of curious whether or not we're going to get a knock on the door from the Texarkana police. What are you doing? Sir, here? we had a report of a B&E. Can I see, can I see some identification? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, this guy. Yeah, that guy. This guy right here on the wall. He said it's cool that we're here. Yeah, he's my friend Mike. Uh, sir, his name is Rich. Yeah, That's Bill. <laughs> but we slid into the second half of the year already. So if the first half of the year eluded you and you still have not done your financial plan the way that you should have, maybe it's time for better help in your corner. OG and his team are taking new clients. Somebody wrote me today, by the way, on the website and said, hey, I've been listening to your show for six months. I need a financial planner. What's the process? This is the process. People. Here it is. You go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG to get in on him and his team's calendar. Don't let the second half of the year go by like the first half of the year did. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Uh, hang on, Joe. I just got to sort my Uno hand here to that. and then Okay, hey, so what should we have learned today? First, take this difficult lesson. It turns out that sometimes we need a reminder that free and best aren't always the same. Who knew? Second, take a lesson from that great gambler, Bill Perkins. It's important to plan for long-term goals, but you don't need to sacrifice living today for saving for retirement later. Life has seasons, and a great approach is to live in the season you're in. You'll get those memory dividends flowing in no time. But the big takeaway? Upon further research, turns out there's not a big gambling market for Uno. Are you kidding me? No big sweaty draw four moments? That'd be television gold but even better news i guess that makes me the undisputed world uno champ world uno champ right here and you knew me before all this fame special thanks to bill perkins for coming down to the basement and talking about enjoyment today you can check out his new book die with zero getting all you can from your money and your life I've hidden a link to buy his book through bookshop.org on our show notes page where you can read it and help the podcast. In fact, why don't you head to stackingbenjamins.com for all our show notes. Bet you haven't heard that before. You're welcome. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
when I was a kid, there was a radio station in base in Saginaw called WSGW. WSGW. 790 AM. Kind of like a WJR, but not as cool or upscale. Yeah. So WJR. So it was AM. Yeah, yeah. But my dad always listened to it. But they had uh, like an ongoing thing for, you know, however long it took, right? So there's a contest. So they would pick a city in the United States and then you would call in and go like, it was, you got one question. Is it east of the Mississippi or west? West. And so so you listen to it and you're just winding it down like... Did Abraham Lincoln build a house there? They did no. that. They did that WKZO, Kalamazoo. Maybe. Yeah. And so like it took like six months to narrow it down to like this area. And it's like, is it Blytheville, Arkansas? They're like, yes, yeah, it's you know, and you won like all this shit for finally getting it, you know. So we gotta do something like that. Dude. We should totally do that. Yeah. We're gonna do that. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the after show, by the way, everybody. Steve got to beep out a couple things on the after show. We're totally gonna do that. Okay. We are going to do that. You didn't know it was going to be the after show, did you? I didn't. I would have not sworn as much, <laughs> but it's, it's just who I am. But <laughs> it oozes. It just who I am. It's oozes out of me. <laughs> Don't hate me for who I f- am. <laughs> I am who I f***ing am. Uh, that's coming up. We're going to do that. So... Yeah, look for that starting. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? Maybe that's good. Like well, first we have of September. The, we'll start that the first. September. We have the Friday thing with the contributors, the Friday game. So mm-hmm. we we need a good Monday Wednesday game for everybody. And yeah, people call in and they get they get one uh, one question. It's going to take a long time. That that that's great. But but are we going to do a place or we should do like a financial thing? You know, nah, it's got to be a place. It's got to be a place. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's a place that has something to do with money. They got to figure out. They got to figure out uh, like what it has to do with, with what. I think you're giving away maybe too many clues right out of the gate. I got to shut my mouth. Shut it. Shut it, dude. Got a whole bag of. Sh- 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 I got a whole bag. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website. Resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life. And Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.